1: Hey everybody, today we're debating evolution on trial and we are starting right now with the evolution side. Mark Reed, thanks so much for being with us. The floor is all yours.
2: Thank you very much, James. And I'll just uh, share my screen here. And um, it's great to be here. Thank you. Um, My name's Mark Reed. Today I'm debating for evolution um, on trial. Uh, Just one second, I'll get organized here. Um, I, I want to thank James and Modern Day Debate for inviting me to debate, um, Atheist Junior for, for being my debate partner, and of course, Sal and Eric for uh, agreeing to debate and presenting arguments against the uh, proposition. Um, I want to make clear that I'm not an evolutionary biologist or a geneticist, or I don't really have any qualifications in the field at all. But um, I would like to go through a couple of the reasons why I believe that the theory of evolution is the best explanation for the diversity of life. Um so the definition of evolution, first off, all evolution is, is the change of heritable characteristics of biological populations over successive generations. Um, we Basically, there isn't really an argument that it, evolution doesn't happen at all. Um, we all agree that living things, biological organisms, change over time. Um, the main contention seems to be universal common ancestry and where evolution stops, if at all. Um, it's important to note, however, that Science says that the process of evolution is the same, whether it's within a species level or whether it's from one species to another. Now, there's a mountain of evidence for evolution. It says there's so much evidence that I couldn't put it all into a presentation. There's fossil record, embryology, uh, phylogenetics. uh, The list is absolutely huge. Um, So today I'll be focusing on just two that I think are the strongest, um, chromosome 2 fusion and ERVs or androgynous retroviruses. Um, The fascinating thing about these two evidences that they fit neatly into the theory of evolution that was already posited before we even found genetics. The outcomes were predicted and support what we already knew about evolution. Um, In the interest of brevity, I'll keep things simple and just give an overview. I want to give AJ uh, all the time that I can. Um, So chromosome two fusion. Um, The chromosomes are a long DNA uh, molecule containing the DNA of the species. We differ from other great apes as they have 23 pairs or 46 chromosomes. Um, We have 48. Um, It was put forward that if we shared a common ancestor, as the theory of evolution said, um, us and chimpanzees, Mm. the most genetically similar, um, sort of being 95 to 98% similar, we should see that humans lost a pair of chromosomes somewhere. And and that we do actually see. So these are the chromosomes of, um, and I'll just point these out. These are human, chimpanzee, gorilla, and orangutan. Um, Now, pay particular focus on chromosome two, where uh, uh, the human chromosome, as opposed to the chimp, um, has fused. Um, These are actually labeled 2A and 2B in other great apes. Um, I want to show the similarity between the two and, and how striking the similarity is. and and how genetically similar we actually are, except for that join at chromosome two. Um, Chromosomes that uh, um, have a, uh, where they join to one another, when two chromosomes join to one another, they have a centromere in the center here, and they have a telomere at either end that bounds them. Now, um, what we should expect to see if, if two chromosomes fused, Um, was instead of having a telomere at either end, it should have a telomere at either end and two telomeres in the centre. It should also have a second centromere where that that second chromosome fused on. And that's exactly what we found. We found that we have a telomere in chromosome two at either end, fragments of telomeres in the centre, and a second fragmented uh, centromere in the lower half of chromosome two. And this is exactly what we'd we'd see if they were fused um, and and not what we would expect to see if they were actually um, um, uh, separate in others. And we only had one chromosome two um, from the very start. The second evidence is ERVs. I think this is the strongest evidence. Um, Retroviruses are are viruses that infect the host and then write themselves into the host DNA, becoming part of that host DNA. If this happens in the germline, like a sperm or an egg, the origin point of an organism, the virus DNA um, gets replicated into the entire genetic structure of the the organism so that that germline separates multiplies and becomes the entire organism. And then that, that virus is passed uh, vertically down to its descendants. And that's called endogenization of the virus. Um, they, these viral DNA elements have particular structure. They have a long terminal repeat on either end, um, followed by a gag pole and ENV. Um, and they're the structure of virus. Now, only retroviruses have this structure. And those LTRs, long terminal repeats, um, they only arise when a virus, a retrovirus, makes a cut in the DNA of a host, and they're very, very unique. Um, th- th- that's how we can tell that ERVs have been inserted themselves into DNA. So we share 205 of the same ERVs with chimpanzees. Um, the DNA sequence is in exactly the same spot, and it's exactly the same virus. Um Apart from the unlikelihood this would happen between humans and apes, basically it means that um, out of 10 million possible locations of insertion, the same virus has inserted in the same place. Um, That is... Astronomically unlikely that happened in two separate cases. The alternative is that it happened in a common ancestor and that was passed through the lineage down to descendants and it's simply we split off, but both of us kept that fragment of the uh, retrovirus in our DNA. And the interesting thing about this is that the further you go away in the tree of life, the less of these viruses are shared between um organisms. So what this tells us, the further back these organisms shared a common ancestor and then split off, uh, that we, they see less and less of these Uh, ERVs shared between them. Now, that's exactly what we would expect to see if organisms shared a common ancestor. It's not what we would expect to see from separate created lineages that are not related. Um, And thank you very much. Those are my two uh, strongest evidences that I want to present, but we can certainly discuss uh, whatever they, you know, whatever my opponents want. Thank you.
1: You got it. We'll kick it over to Atheist Jr. for his opening as well. Back to you, James. Uh, James, you're on mute. Thank you very much for that. Want to remind you, folks, our guests are linked in the description. We're going to kick it over to Atheist Jr. for his opening statement as well. Thanks so much for being with you, Atheist. Or thank you very much for being with us, Atheist Jr. Let me just uh, forgive me, folks, just uh, two seconds. Uh, where is this uh mark if you're able to for some reason it usually gives me the option to stop your screen share but i can't there it is. okay i got it and with that we're going to get over to atheist junior thanks so much for being with us atheist junior the floor is all yours
3: okay um so i is my screen share up too yep all right that was a fantastic uh, presentation by my partner mark so thank you so much for for doing that intro and thank you to james for having me on again So I'm just going to add some additional pieces of evidence to what Mark said, because I think he gave a great definition of evolution and sort of laid out the foundation of what we're talking about here. So I just wanted to add some additional pieces of evidence that that I think are pretty interesting. Now, creationists say a lot that evolution can't be true because we weren't there in the distant past to observe it. We don't have a time machine to go back and see these things. And even if we did, they happen on such a long time span that we wouldn't be able to see changes on a macro scale. But the thing is, is that we actually do see evolution happening today. So in the laboratory, scientists studied a form of unicellular algae that's called clamidomonas. Now they exposed this unicellular algae to a filter feeding predator. And in response to predation, several specimens evolved multicellularity as a defense mechanism. So the reason this is significant is because once they had this multicellular matrix, this extracellular matrix that made them much bigger. This filter-feeding predator was no longer able to eat them because they were too big. So this is a true multicellular organism that used to be single-celled, and this experiment happened over 50 weeks. Now, that's evolution that we've been able to observe. Now, as a counterpoint, my opponents might say that, well, it's still an algae, but normally this is a single-celled algae that only brings forth other single cell algae. So, this should be a new kind of algae, right? A multicellular kind with new genetic information. It got new traits like an extracellular matrix. So, this is also not just a colony because in a colony, each cell could break off and live on its own. But in this organism, if a cell breaks off, it'll die. And again, this is a beneficial change, a beneficial mutation because it's now too big for the predator to eat. And what would constitute a multicellular organism? And what would constitute a macro evolutionary change? So creationists either want these huge steps or you want a thousand transition between each steps and you're basically positing a God of the gaps argument because when it comes to transitionary forms, usually when we fill in one gap, they'll just say, well, now there's another gap that you have to fill in. So we have a transition from a one cell to a two cell organism. I think that should count as evolution right there. The next step would be four. And since both cells can replicate, you double the amount of cells during each generation, assuming there are no cell deaths. And these early colonies existed and lives as smaller colonies and larger colonies. And I would like to know, is this a different kind of algae? Because creationists can't seem to differentiate between a special creation event and something simply being a new kind. Now, either all these algae cells with mostly the same DNA and the same anatomy are not the same kind, and we witnessed evolution, or these are all the same kind, and we witnessed diversity to the point where the same kind is both multicellular and unicellular. To me, that doesn't really make sense. So these are six different stages of the Chlamydomonas algae. Now, I think a multicellular organism should be distinct from a unicellular one. And even if I don't use the term the term kind personally, and scientists don't either, I think it would qualify as a different one. But again, creationists can't distinguish between something being a unique creation made at the beginning of creation and a new kind coming to be. And here we can see a fish that basically is walking. And creationists, they might want to limit evolution to say, well, we only see evidence of microevolution, but we can still get pretty far with just microevolution, with just small changes. The flexibility of existing parts to perform new functions through microevolution. So using structures that you already have in new and creative ways can help you adapt to your environment and beat the competition for resources and mating rights. So evolution is not just about massive visible changes, to me, I think it's just about being good enough and using the things that you have to live long enough to reproduce. Now, here we have another example of small changes, but I've heard creationist arguments about, well, uh, how could you have a bird evolve because you could never have half a wing? Well, flying squirrels while they have no descendants with better wings are proof that the transitional half wing is completely functional and possible if under the what should be considered creationism this should be considered a creation because we know that these animals exist so if it's not evolution then it seems to me that the creationist argument is not a scientific one it seems like it's more of a semantic one so What happens if flying squirrels get better at flying? Are flying squirrels a new kind of animal? Or is it a squirrel bat or just a squirrel that can fly? So we already know that greater morphological distances are already admitted by creationists. Would this not count as macroevolution? Totally new functions that evolve from pre-existing traits in a squirrel lineage? Or just a microevolutionary change? So I'll end end my presentation there. And thanks again, Mark and, and James, for having me on.
1: Thank you very much for that opening, and we're going to kick it over to the, you could say, skeptics of evolution side. Thanks so much for being with us, Sal, and thanks so much for being with us, Eric. The floor is all yours, Sal, right now.
4: Is my screen up? All right, in science's pecking order, evolutionary biology lurks somewhere near the bottom, far closer to the pseudoscience of phrenology than to physics. That wasn't a creationist saying that. That was Jerry Cohen, Coyne who wrote why evolution is true. Let's accept for the sake of argument, there is universal common ancestry at least that's the, the primary viewpoint. Um, there's some deviations from that. Uh, at least the organismal level. Well, there, where this falls apart. Oh, by the way, that's a squirrel munching on its cousin. Um, Where this falls apart is at the parts that make up life. There's no universal common ancestor for the protein parts that make up life. And I will try to demonstrate that. This is problematic for evolution. Uh, This is the correct viewpoint, orchard. And if that seems out in left field, I have video evidence of Dr. Dan Cardinale agreeing with me. He's an evolutionary biologist at Rutgers, and there are other other, um, papers to that effect. So I'm going to attack the problem of evolution at the protein level. So I'd say geometry is priority. Geometry is priority. So if we kind of like had a universal common ancestral design for a car, it seems reasonable through slight successive modifications. It can diversify to all these other cars. You know, it starts with the car that Carl Benz of Mercedes-Benz fame made in 1886, and you could see all the diversification of cars from there. That seems reasonable. That looks like a universal tree of life, at least on the conceptual level. The problem is this tree does not work if we were to take the parts of the car uh, by way of analogy, the protein parts. But if you take the parts of the car, you can't name a part from which all the parts descended like, say, a gas tank, a tire, a piston, a battery, a spark plug, and a radiator. And that will actually even play out at the protein level. So let's look at this tetrameric potassium ion channel. And you can see the geometry. That's another uh, rendering of it, a Richardson ribbon diagram. And you could see there's the, like what I call the, the man-made shape there on the left and the god made on the right. Um, there's a problem of all or nothing functionality. If we add a radiator, all the basic features have to be there for it to work. That is problematic for the evolution of major protein families. It's similar to Michael Behe's irreducible complexity, but some nuances there. I'm going to skip some slides here. Um, let me see how much time I have. Okay, so we could look at the topoisomerase protein, for example, that's one I published on with good scientists like Joe DeWeese. We have published both in creationist literature and also in, he published in Nature. Uh, he's both a creationist and a secular scientist of great degree. Uh, we don't have time to show this video, plus we may have technical problems to show the topi somerase, maybe in the discussion we'll show this. Let's but, uh, unless we have all the parts here, it just doesn't evolve. So we're going to have all these independent protein families to make something like this. And uh, at some point, even if we accept universal common ancestry at the organismal level, we have to invoke miracles at the protein level, at least the protein, major protein family level. And then at that point, it's not really very distinguishable from special creation. Uh, The topoisomerase cuts DNA, so it looks like a pair of scissors. But it's even more interesting than that. It can cut DNA to untangle it, and then it untangles it after cutting it, and then it has to reconnect it together. If, if it cuts but doesn't reconnect, this is a disaster. Life is over. There's no further evolution. Furthermore, um, even within the topoisomerase family, we can't seem to find universal common ancestry. That's a diagram from the paper I'm happy to share. We can examine it. And let me just uh, blast through another part here. Geometry is priority. So even with like a bolt and a nut, you have to have very tight, precise fits to uh, random variations in the geometry are fatal to the system. That is also true at the protein level, as can be evidenced by this uh, diagram from Bruce Albert's cellular biology. Everything has to fit. That's why little changes to geometry are disastrous. And that's why most random mutations are deleterious and compromising a function. Uh, if people wanna see a little bit more of this, we could talk about it later or even in an after show. This is a spelling of the collagen protein. There's a non-random pattern here. This is the amino acids and this is a zinc finger. We can show also non-random pattern here. The significance of that is It is brutally evident if you take a collagen and a zinc finger or any other major protein family, there is no universal common ancestor consistent with what Dr. Dan said. So if we invoke universal common ancestry at the organismal level, we're going to have to invoke miracles to make the proteins. And at that point, it's indistinguishable from special creation. Uh, The creationists like myself would argue maybe it's just better to invoke to dump universal common answers all together, because if we're gonna invoke um, special creation for the protein families, we can just as well invoke it for everything else. Thank you. Eric? Well,
1: that's right. Wanna remind you folks, our guests are linked in the description, and then I got you loud and clear now, Eric, ready for you. Okay, thank, thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, that
5: was a great opening, and I want to thank uh, the, uh, my two atheist friends here for your opening. And if you don't mind, I know this might be a little bit unusual, but be, would it be okay if I just asked a yes or no question just to clarify your position on something? Um, and then I can carry it on real quick. I, I was just wondering, and this is for both of you, do you are you of the ilk that say evolution is a fact or would you agree with me that evolution is not a fact? And do you believe every fossil is transitional or would you agree with me that not every fossil is transitional?
3: Uh, I would say that um, the it seems based on current evidence that, yeah, evolution is factual and that you could... Uh, You could say that every fossil is transitional, but I think that um, that requires a little bit extra explanation, you know, other than just stating it outright.
2: Mark, would you I would say that evolution is a fact. The theory of evolution is the model describing uh, the process in which evolution works. And I would have to agree with AJ saying that every fossil is transitional. It kind of – there's a lot of uh, – confusion about what transitional means, but I, I would I would tentatively sort of say that could be applied to fossils, yes.
5: Okay. Thank you. Thank you, guys, for your answers. Now, here's, where I, here's what I would like to bring out. I'd like to bring out, first of all, since we're speaking about evolution, uh, just the fact that so many people believe in evolution, this does not mean that evolution is a fact. Okay? Okay. I wouldn't even consider evolution a science at this point because science has rules. There are pseudosciences, on the other hand, where you don't apply these rules. And that, my friend, is exactly where uh, evolution fits. Now, what you bring up, for instance, uh, I believe every fossil is transitional. Okay, That's fine. You're allowed to hold that hypothesis. But I think that you're forgetting scientific methods. Uh, First of all, you make an observation, and you're going to find out, what people are going to find out tonight is what evolution is built on is so flimsy, it's amazing that it's even still afloat. There's nothing to it. It's all imagination. It is pure imagination. For instance, people look at your planes, and that's what these are. These are empty planes of transitional fossils. Transitional fossils. Transitional fossils everywhere. But how do you figure these are transitional fossils? Matt, um, uh, Mark, I saw one of your debates with a fellow on dinosaurs. And you told him in three different specific spots. What you're doing is you're taking something out of the ground. You're taking a look at it. And you're making claim. You're making claim after claim after claim. You're stacking claims on top of each other. And when one claim gets proven wrong, you just make another claim. Well, that's what you're doing with transitional fossils. You did these, evolution stands on two things. Uh, one, transitional fossils, this is your biggest evidence for it. And two is DNA, this is your biggest evidence for it. So now we have to separate what is your observation, what is your hypothesis. And what have you done to test your hypothesis or to falsify it? Well, I submit nothing. First of all, let's take transitional fossils, for instance. Transitional fossils, Archaeopteryx is a good example. You have the Archaeopteryx. The Archaeopteryx is said to be a transitional form in between a theropod dinosaur and a modern bird, somewhere in there. That's where you fit Archaeopteryx. So now, you have your observation that this is based on. What is your observation? Well, the Archaeopteryx has similarities of a theropod dinosaur, and it has similarities with the bird. So we can assume or hypothesize that it is, in fact, related. It is a transitional form between the two. Now, falsify that baby. There's no way to falsify that. It's a claim. It's an unfalsifiable claim. And if it's unfalsifiable, it's not even science. It's as good as science fiction. Dr. Colin Patterson was the lead paleontologist, the head paleontologist for the British Museum of Natural History. And he wrote uh, books on evolution, toured for evolution. And he when asked why he didn't include pictures of transitional fossils, he said, fossils can tell us many things, but they cannot tell us whether or not they were ancestral to or from anything else. They can't tell us that. You don't have that. No. I'm going to use another example
1: here. About 30 seconds left. Okay. So,
5: basically, let me just wrap it up by saying this. You don't have any proof whatsoever. None. Zero. Zip. Zilch. The onus is on you to provide said proof that even one transitional fossil exists. Show me the tests. Show me the DNA where it was the DNA of this transitional fossil was tested against its child and its parent uh, ancestry relatives and you prove your point but you'll never prove your point because out of all these millions of transitional fossils you don't have so much as points
1: and time with that we're going to jump into open conversation but first i want to say folks in case it's your first time here at modern day debate we are a neutral platform hosting debates on science religion and politics we hope you feel welcome no matter what walk of life you are from we're glad to have you here and If you haven't yet, hit that subscribe button. We have many more juicy debates to come. For example, at the bottom right of your screen, Mark McQueen and King Crocoduck, legendary debater in the creation evolution world on YouTube. They will be colliding later this month, or I should say September. It's going to be a juicy one. You don't want to miss it. Hit that subscribe button. And with that, gentlemen, thanks so much. The floor is all yours.
4: Are you sure
2: it was Mark McLean? I thought it was um, uh, David McQueen.
1: David, thanks David. so much. It's been a long time. No worries.
2: David McQueen. <laughs> no Mark involved at all. But uh, <laughs> thank you so much for your introduction, Sal, and, and Eric. And thank you so much, Atheist Junior. That was a, a, a wonderful presentation. I, I do appreciate it. Um, first, I'd like to get into the Sal's the start as sort of the evolution at protein level. Um, because as far as I understood it, we, we shouldn't expect to see um, evolution at a sort of protein level that proteins evolve de novo as in new proteins evolve over time so why would we I guess what I'm saying is why would we expect to see the same proteins in at the very start the primitive life forms like like prokaryotes and things if they evolve over time I don't understand that Sal um Sal I think you're muted mate I think you've got the mute on
1: Sorry about
4: that, and uh, I didn't have a chance to be talking to you. Oh, we still can't hear you.
1: I think that uh, it might be that your other device is picking up on your mic, Sal. I'm not sure if that's mm-hmm. it, but we know that I can't. It's very
4: difficult to hear you. Can you hear me now? Do I have yeah. to? Yeah, that's perfect, yeah. Crystal clear. It might be that, uh, that my microphone. So th- thank you all for, for bearing with me, and Mark, and Eric, James, and AJ. Greetings, I didn't have a chance in my opening to extend my greetings. Thank you very much for um, being a part of this discussion. I'm gonna to try to understand your your question, Mark. The And if I misstated, please uh, correct me. No problem. We, we The fundamental problem is some of these major protein families, they just won't exist. It makes no sense for them to exist unless they are all there at once. And I gave the example of the tokwai somerase so yes, mm-hmm. you can. You can. Uh, you know, the question is really, uh, in evolution on trial, it's not just common descent. That's not. You know, you can. Ex- there are lots of people that accept common descent, like Michael Behe, but think right. they're problematic things, and that's what I'm trying to attack. But mm-hmm. the thing is, it's like something like topo race which looks like it would have to come fully formed, for it to work. Uh, or at least, even if you co-op pre-existing parts, the, the amount of miracles to put together pre-existing parts to make a functioning topoise summary seems uh, astronomically remote to me, even at an intuitional level. And then as I've worked through some of the math for like say the transition from prokaryote to eukaryote and they have to have to do things, they have to reformat things and insert things like nuclear localization signals. Once we get into the cellular and molecular details, uh, rather than just looking at shapes and fossils and you know speculating transitionals, when we get down to the actual molecular level, which what Michael Behe did, it starts to become like well you know at some point it looks indistinguishable from miracles, and that that's where it's that's where the discussion I think really needs to go. A lot of creationists focus on arguing the fossil record. I don't do that. My research has been at the cellular and molecular level, and so. Um, I I ended up throwing a lot of terms and concepts that people usually don't hear in this discussion But that's that's what I research. So my main claim is you look at the part It's again kind of like looking at the parts of a car. So you look at the first car uh, Created by carl benz and then you look at modern cars that have all these new parts and components and uh, some of these components are very, very very sophisticated, like, say, fuel injection versus the carburetion. at the protein level, we see the emergence of these We lost time. you again, Sal, volume-wise. At the protein level. Uh, we still protein, can't
1: hear you, Sal. I don't know if you're able to hear me.
4: I can hear you.
1: It's like you're underwater. <laughs> <laughs> like, literally under. It's that. It's really that.
4: Can I switch to? That's better. That's better. That's better. I don't know what it is that you can hear me. I I just, there seems to be an optimal position if I just kind of scream right into the uh, screen of the smartphone. Sorry about that. Perfect right now. Okay. I'm going to try to scream away. Scream away. (laughs) (laughs) I'll scream away. So um, that's what I find problematic. Mm. At some point, these transitions. Or You know, like, say, from a random set of DNA, coding a brand new uh, polypeptide, when we actually examine it in, in detail, especially for what we call multimeric proteins, uh, that's astronomically improbable. And then also, even when you take the same protein going from a first area, like the bacteria. We're losing so you.
1: I'm sorry? We are losing you for a second.
4: Uh, that's not on me. I'm. Well maybe I'll let someone else talk. I'll have an after show on my channel and my is. audio is usually better there.
2: Well Dude. it sounds like your main concern is irreducible complexity here, Sal. That seems to what it be boils now, I, I, down I, I, to. I think,
4: I think the main
5: concern is that there's just no proof of evolution whatsoever. You point to you point to DNA similarities, for instance. Okay. Let's attack that for just a moment. Now <clears throat> That's DNA similarities compared to what portion of our DNA? Is that talking about the entire genome, or just the? Uh, the or are we talking mainly about the coding part of the DNA? Oh, uh,
3: you uh-huh. compare you compare the nucleotide sequences, and we look for the similarities in them.
5: Uh, right, right. And so you're talking about the uh, the coding DNA. That's where you see your similarities, correct?
3: Not specifically. Just in oh, the yeah, sequence in general.
5: Of course it is. That's exactly where you see your, uh, your similarities. Is in the coding section. I can pull up two uh, two papers right now, peer reviewed, but put them right in front of you. This says one thing: one percent of our DNA is coding DNA. Okay. So when you're talking about chimp and human DNA, is 99 percent uh, uh, similar.
1: I will give you a bit more time. Forgive me, pardon my interruption, but just because we haven't heard from Atheist Junior or Mark so far in the open discussion, I, I just want to maybe kind of uh, speed it along for both you, Sal, okay. and Eric.
5: Okay, that's fine.
1: That's fine. Um,
5: I'll just
1: I'll just wrap that up by saying
5: that uh, you know you have one percent of the DNA that is ninety nine percent the same, ninety nine percent similar, but all these other claims of DNA proving this and that. That's just another claim. It's just another hypothesis based on your observation. And it's an untested, unfalsifiable claim. You well, cannot. It's,
2: it's not just the coding section, it, it's the entire genome. It's not just the coding section. I'm, I'm really sorry, but that's not how we compare DNA. And the thing is that we're using the same kind of technology to tell who's related, you know, whether you're related to your father or mother or cousin or something like that. And nobody seems to have a problem using it like that. It's only when it shows the similarity and the nested hierarchy that when we go out further and further and further, the similarities get less and less and less. And uh, what I would like you to do is then address the the whole problem of ERVs for the creationists of why we we have these endogenous retroviruses between us and chimpanzees. um, That is a 10 million to one for one of them. um, uh, and, and, And we have that 205 of them there making the likelihood of individual infection to be so close to zero it's, it's almost impossible can can you talk on that explain that at all? yeah, yeah now let's 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 examine this. What is your observation um, that we see uh, ERVs which um, insert themselves into a random point in the genome um, inserted in exactly the same spot with exactly the same virus. 205 times in both us and chimpanzees. Okay.
5: Now, what do you hypothesize based on um, your observation?
2: Well, we, we can hypothesize before it was found that if we are indeed related, we should see these ERV markers in so, us so and close relations to so us. The further away the relations get to us, the less of those we should see. So, you're, in other words, you see... You
5: note a similarity, and you hypothesize a relationship because of that similarity. Is that true or false?
2: Well, we hypothesize what we should find when analyzing the DNA of not only us and chimpanzees, but other animals like um, the great apes and other mammals and reptiles, etc., what and we you should don't, find. And you don't hypothesize that that similarity means
5: anything?
3: Well, I, well, think, it, I think the yeah. hypothesis is that it's more likely, if we have two possible outcomes, is it's more likely that this is a, a result of evolution and not just a really, really specific coincidence.
5: Bingo. That, we so that, is your, that is your hypothesis, based on that observation. Now I want to see the falsifiability.
3: Well, it's Show not my hypothesis because I'm not a oh, scientist. Okay, that's,
2: that's okay. okay. so Eric, that's Eric, the, the falsifiability is that if we look in a very distant animal and find more ERVs than, you know, us and chimpanzees, for instance, no, 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 no. we know that's fa- – well, no, don't yeah. just shake your head. We know that to be false because we does, have disproven. How does that well, it's up? because we've made that testable prediction, and this is—I think this is what you're not understanding about testable predictions. So, well, no, 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 Eric, let, let me talk, mate. Speed. Let me talk. This is what you don't understand about testable predictions because you brought up Archaeopteryx. And the fact that we found it and looked at it isn't the big deal about Archaeopteryx. And the other one I want to bring up is tectolic, the the walking fish with lungs that we found. (laughs) The important part about them is we predicted them beforehand. Darwin predicted a bird with teeth, and that's exactly what Archaeopteryx is. We predicted to find a fish that could walk on land and have um, formation of lungs from its swim bladder and that's exactly what we found. That now, is the testable falsified.
5: Wait wait did you just did you just hypothesize these things in a vacuum or are you saying that they are all related and go back to a last unified common ancestor? No you're saying
3: you're yeah. saying that Darwin himself, Darwin predicted that a proto-bird with unfused wing fingers would be found, and then two years later, they found Archaeopteryx.
5: So you misunderstand the question. The question I'm asking is this. Now, I understand that. Are you, are you uh, hypothesizing all of this in a vacuum? In other words, or do they have something to do with one another? Are you saying that all of these things are related because oh. of these observations?
2: Eric no hypothesis is in a vacuum that's the point of hypotheses you hypothesize something in this case darwin says we should if evolution is true we should find a a bird with uh, unfused uh, fingers and a uh, teeth and then no, that's but, what we found okay so let's say
5: let's say you find something like that does yeah. that mean just because you found that skeleton that it is automatically related to the theropod dinosaur and the modern bird.
2: What do you mean related? Not, well not automatically but it's very strong evidence.
3: Yeah, and then
2: So so in other words it doesn't mean anything.
5: It still has to, uh, you, still, you still have to test that thing. You still How, have
2: how do you Get from very strong evidence to doesn't mean anything. That's sort of saying, well, if you find a guy with a knife and he's standing over a dead body with the knife in hand and blood dripping off of it, it's very strong evidence, but it doesn't mean anything.
5: very, very strong evidence for what? That they're related? Yeah. Yeah, but you're not proving they're related. There's only one way you can prove whether or not they are related, and that is to test the DNA of the common ancestor to test the DNA of the Archaeopteryx, and we have the DNA of the modern bird. But that's the only way you're going to be able to falsify that hypothesis. So do, no uh,
3: do, do you think that Archaeopteryx has to be a direct ancestor to a modern bird for it to count as, as evidence? Did I, did I say that at all?
5: You I said think you implied
3: it. No, I said that you have to follow the
5: scientific procedure, scientific methodology. And just because you're an atheist, who believes in evolution, and most scientists believe in evolution, or at least say they do, because they've got skin in the game. That doesn't prove anything. They're claims, they're empty claims. You're excusing yourself from falsifiability. You're
2: you just you're just totally neglecting the point that you're not even following
5: scientific methodology.
2: Well, that's not true. I mean, I brought up a couple of examples that could be falsified, especially if you, if you don't mind, Eric, um, especially the chromosome 2 fusion, where if, if those chromosomes weren't fused and we didn't find a second centromere and the telomeres in the centre, as I explained, that would have falsified evolution because it would have said, "Hey, our chromosomes didn't fuse at number two, um, like the chimpanzee still has two A and two B." So you're basically making these these statements that that evolution is unfalsifiable when that it just is isn't true. Um, no. There's a lot of ways to falsify evolution, and a lot of things that we expect to falsify it that weren't Sorry. didn't happen. And, and so that's why we think it is a, 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 well, it's a real theory and it's a real scientific, um, has scientific basis.
3: So you're just going to make more claims. It's not an empty claim if you predict to find it, a certain it, fossil and then you find it. That's not an empty claim. That's yeah. no proof that you found what you were looking for either. So I'm, I'm yeah, not, exactly. sure, what,
2: I'm not exactly. sure what you mean by that proof because science doesn't work with proofs usually. That's well, math.
5: Now, this, I love when atheists use this. You see, because oh. here's the difference. Your science doesn't prove anything. Why doesn't your science prove anything? Because it's not science. It's, it's pseudoscience that is unfalsifiable. Science proves things every single day. Medical science has proven they can control the heart rate with medication. I can take carbide and mix it with water. And prove to you through science that it is possible to create a settling in such a way. I can take, we can take a signal. Science has proven that we can send signals through the atmosphere. Science has proven that we can launch rockets from the Earth. Science has
3: proven that we can put satellites into space. Science has proven... No, science proofs proof. are something that's a mathematical concept. In science, you yeah. find the best current, most parsimonious model. explanation for things and the best model because we don't so decide that things are true and that we're always going to think that this is true in science. It's the best current explanation. Yeah, so, so there- when
2: we when we send signals, we, we find the best method for sending just- them because they don't always work. We have, have things that can block signals, and, and we make a model of how those – um, signals are working. We don't just say, "Hey, it is—it is proof." Uh, that's so not how these things
1: work. Just make well, sure that Sal isn't just. Oh, wait, Sal yeah, think I, I, I think Sal. So science hasn't proven that we can mass communicate. Sal, we can't hear you yet. I, I can see your lips moving, but I—we haven't been able to hear you. So is it your position that's... No, not you, <laughs> Sal. I just want to give Sal a Eric does <laughs> I just want it just in case Sal. Uh, I appreciate your passion, though, Eric. I, I just want to be sure that in case Sal had anything, we could hear him because yeah. I saw his lips moving. Do you have anything, Sal?
4: Yeah. Uh, so if there's any sound, uh, does it get muffled if someone else's microphone is not muted? Um. So far, uh,
1: I haven't noticed that pattern yet because nobody. No.
2: Yeah, you're talking
3: fine. I think if it's your phone, you might just be covering the mic with your finger. That could be it.
4: Oh, that could be it. Um, It does have a muffled sound to it. I don't know where the mic is. Now, I can go to the other mic on my other computer. It's loud and clear. Like, if you keep going like this, I think we'll be good. Okay, if I'm talking in this direction. Okay, as far as the ERVs, if we postulate that they were independently position there, I have good evidence that they would be because I have, if you'll Google um, the Sternberg-Collins paradox, you'll see I addressed this. We have independent transposons um, that, that don't have common ancestry that are put in the same position. So this is very problematic for evolution. We can just extrapolate that to the ERVs. Also the ERVs are finding out like all of the, non- a lot of non-coding DNA is very important that when it transcribes it's very important for creating a phase, these, these non, these membrane less organelles. So it is not just random. It has, it has purpose. The ERVs also are tied and connected to, uh, they are uh, bound by zinc finger proteins that hook to the cap one complex. This is way more complicated than evolutionary biologists have been saying and it's only coming out in the last few years, and they got that wrong. So um, that, so, so that's that's an example of you know the, the ERV thing is is way more complicated than we're making it out to be, and um, it would also require what we would call coevolution, where you'd have to modify the zinc finger protein simultaneously the ERV to make it workable. So just the fact that it's in the same position doesn't mean it evolved. It could also be specially created, and so the creationists would say it is common design. You can still assume common ancestry if you want, but I pointed out the problems with that, with uh, the independent protein lineages. So, cell, cell,
2: cell. I'm sorry, um, but it, it sounded like there um, that you're basically saying that you, you're you're sort of accounting for these. Um, um, these these ervs through miracle that they were created to look like they were from common descent
4: no, that's like, okay no i that, i respect that point mark and that's a good that's a good point but this is like saying when you put a pencil in water and it looks bent therefore god's being deceptive or that when you look at the sky and it looks like the world is geocentric it looks like god's deceiving us the problem is when you have other data points that tell you that the that the idea the theory is false then you reject it so I would say that just like geocentrism evolution has a lot of testable predictions that actually succeed just like geocentrism would predict that the sun rises and sets every day it doesn't make the theory correct you have to look at the anomalies and I pointed out one of the anomalies in the transition from prokaryotes to eukaryotes in the nuclear localization signals you'd have to reformat all the proteins to be able to do this, this would this would be indistinguishable from a miracle. So this isn't, you know, granted, you've probably not heard these arguments a lot because creationists don't talk about them and that's why I'm glad I could be here. So I well, mean I have I, have I published mean-
2: the problem there.
4: Go on, Mark. I'm sorry. Yeah,
2: yeah. The the problem there is that uh, a lot of the evolutionary biologists and geneticists don't agree with you, Sal. Like Francis Collins, who ran the Human Genome Project, basically says evolution happened. He doesn't like it, but he has to admit it. And he's a very devout uh, Christian. And and the problem is that you're sort of expecting these structures to to sort of um, evolve into their optimal function instantly. Whereas that isn't really the case. I mean, I I read about a lactase uh, metabolism promoter, um, lac operon in E. coli, and there's a hundred base sequence you can replace with just random strands of DNA. It, It still works. Sometimes it doesn't work as well. Sometimes it works just as well with these random elements in it. So these, the whole idea seems to boil down to two things from what I'm hearing. One's an irreducible complexity and one's sort of just an appeal to incredulity that you don't think that these things could have um, evolved over time. Um, I, I think we should discuss the irreducible complexity because, as you mentioned, Behe was the main promoter of that and we saw during the Kitzmeller versus Dover, his bacterial flagellum, where it was demonstrated that that flagellum, which he said was irreducibly complex, actually it, it worked as a pump in other uh, bacteria. Um, so we know that these structures can start out as another thing and proteins can have different functions and then as they evolve, change functionality.
5: Do you know what the second
3: chromosome is used for? Can we stay uh, on this topic? I wanted to add something to the Behe thing. Sure. Sorry. Okay. So, yeah, like he said, so we know in the, in the Kitzmiller versus Dover trial, Michael Behe was testifying and he was cross-examined, and he conceded that there was no peer-reviewed papers that supported his claims about complex molecular systems like the bacterial flagellum, but also the blood clotting cascade and the immune system that they were intelligently designed and also that there were no peer-reviewed articles supporting his arguments that molecular structures were irreducibly complex. So he admitted this on the stand.
4: Mm -hmm. We can get it. I didn't use the word irreducible complexity for a reason because there are some weaknesses to it. The other thing is all those claims of co-option of other parts is still very problematic because it's just like taking, um, you know, one set of parts and assembling it to be another It's it's not as trivial as they're making it out. That would be a necessary but not sufficient condition. It's not argument by incredulity, it's argument, it's proof by contradiction or argument by contradiction. If I said, I don't believe a tornado can go through a junkyard and assemble a 747, that sounds like argument from incredulity, but actually the better way to say it is we would not expect a tornado passing through a junkyard to create a 747. So random mutation and also natural selection should not be expected to make these these complex structures. We can prove that experimentally And most natural selection, or shall we say a differential reproductive abundance results in loss and compromise of function. And as far as, yes, you can mutate some parts, but you can't mutate all of them. There are critical parts like in the topoisomerase protein and zinc finger proteins and collagens, et cetera, et cetera. I could point to so many examples there are, as I said, geometry is priority. Geometry is priority. And, the and proof at some is- point, this thing's going to fail. If you don't have the minimal functionality, even making a multimeric protein where all the parts have to connect, because a lot of these complexes, like, say, a homohexameric helicase has six parts that have to be there all at once. You need all the connecting parts, just like you would, say, the parts of a car. It's far more complex than that to assume that it can assemble in gradual pieces just doesn't work it's not argument from incredulity we have good evidence that it's not going to work in gradual steps you may take some examples where something slowly optimized with little changes but you can't generalize that to all everything this is like going to a casino and saying i won once and then i can say i can every time i go I'm going to win. It's just not going to work. So what happens in evolutionary biology, they'll cherry pick some examples and pretend that that can be extrapolated to things like the things I was describing.
2: No, we're not we're not using the gambler's fallacy and saying because we've won once. What we're saying is you, you're saying that you would not expect complex structures to be formed over these processes. But unfortunately, most evolutionary biologists and geneticists just do not agree with you there, Sal. and And what we're saying is, this, this argument has been brought up before by Behe and, and demonstrated that complex structures can form over these processes. So what we're saying is that you can starting out with the, 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 the clear distinction that this cannot happen. Any what? instance of it happening shows you wrong. What structures?
4: I'm no, sorry. I did not say all complex structures. I'm specifically pointing out the structures such as the nuclear localization signal that has to be reformatted, going from the prokaryote to eukaryotic. You don't see that transition happening, and it's, it's agreement uh, observations agree with predictions. And, and so I didn't say all complex structures. I specifically pointed out I, I, you know I can go through a laundry list of which ones that you can try to falsify. So I don't make the claim that other creationists do that you can't form all complex structures. I'm saying you know, specific ones and those specific ones falsify evolutionary theory also yes most evolutionary biologists don't agree with me but in science's pecking order evolutionary biology lurks somewhere near the bottom far closer to the pseudoscience of phrenology than to physics there's a reason the major there's the reason that the major research teams that are trying to understand cellular biology molecular biology they have engineers scientists computational biologists the last people that they need on their research team are evolutionary biologists because they are disrespected. They don't make any contribution to the advancement of knowledge.
2: Craig Yeah, I, I don't think do that's you know. true, but. Um, do you, do you
4: know, Mark, do you know who Craig Venter is?
2: Uh, no, would, would,
5: would you, you do? You don't know who Craig Venter is. Craig Venter is probably the world's foremost geneticist. Uh, Craig Venter. Uh, was putting together the human genome before teams of government and corporate scientists could. Uh, Craig Venter is the only man in the entire world who has designed DNA on his computer, extracted the DNA from an E. coli bacteria cell, and then injected that bacteria cell with the DNA that he created, and it began to reproduce. He's the only man in the world to to have ever done this. Um, And because of this, uh, one school followed suit and tried to edit the genes of another E. coli bacteria cell. But he says, Craig Venter says, and I've got the link right here for anybody who wants to see it, that the Tree of Life of Common Descent is an artifact of old science that hasn't held up.
2: Period. Yeah, yeah. So, so the the problem with the tree well, of life and I'm, what we're currently I'm, doing I'm, I'm, is I'm we're not trying. Done,
5: I'm not done. Oh,
2: okay. Well, I mean,
5: so I'm I'm saying that to lead up to this. You're talking about similarities of DNA. Uh, for instance, the second chromosome similarities that prove according to the evolutionists, that we have a common ancestor with the gem. Okay. Now, first of all, all we have is the similarity, and I can pull this up too, where it does uh, suggest, I don't know if anybody can see this, but this is a paper that was put out, let me see, this is peer-reviewed. Junk DNA defines differences between humans and chimps from 2011. That's how old the science is, dude. And this is, that is a how, good thing. This is how that's
2: far. Pretty old paper, is, but sure.
5: Right. That's how far behind evolutionists are.
2: No, that's a paper that's, from like twenty, yeah. what 10, 10 15, uh, what, I can't count. 12 11 years, years ago now?
3: 11 what, what? years ago. You can't okay. twist your source being really old It's a good thing. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's not that's not a good thing. And
2: plus, it's not like we stopped in in twenty eleven where we're still putting out papers and stuff, right? Well, I don't. I, I, don't wanna...
5: think, I don't blame you for wanting to hide from this point. The point is, well, this paper right here hasn't been disproven or corrected by anybody. You can't correct this paper, and this paper states that the genetic differences. Uh, lie in the uncoated DNA, which is 98% of the DNA. Uh-huh. Uh, there's only 1% of the DNA that's coding DNA, and that's where the similarities lie between humans and chimp. This paper shows us specifically that we differ, uh, vastly differ, in the uh, uh, uncoated part, which is the largest part of the DNA, the
2: junk DNA. As it's called, this lab paper lab. that we can't see. So well, that, that's okay. I mean, if you give me the name of it, I can certainly look it up and, and have a look at it. But I mean, okay. these are the same tests that that we. Used to trace ancestry, um, whether whether you came from Europe or came from, the, the, the you know, regardless of how it's done, everybody accepts them as a way to trace ancestry. So I, I don't know what you're getting at here, and I'd, I'd like to address Sal's whole. One, one, one. No, hang on a second. Hang on a second. What I'm getting I'd at... like to address. Come on, Eric. Come on, I'm mate.
1: Give, I want to give Mark uh, a chance. And I promise we'll come back to Eric and. Yeah, Sal. come on, Eric.
2: Um, so, so Sal's thing of like you keep comparing biological mechanisms to car cars and engineering and i think that's a big mistake i think that um, biological organisms function in a um, very dissimilar way to um, engineered parts from humans and it, I, I really i really dislike the whole car analogy because cars don't reproduce they don't you know do cell multiplication they don't they don't act like biological mechanisms. They just don't. Um, I'm not sure where this, this line of, of reasoning is going with you, Eric. I'm, I'm, I'm not 100% sure. Um, so you've got a paper so that says... Here's where it is in a, in a nutshell. First of all, uh, true
5: to what I said in the very beginning, you, you, you can name a few observances, a few things you observe. You can name a couple of hypotheses based on these observations, but you can't prove a thing you're saying. You have not one single test to prove a common ancestor out there. What about the common ancestor between dogs and wolves? No, no. The and
3: DNA you. test is the
5: proof. That's no, no. Where the no, proof no 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 no, no,
3: no, 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 Yes, no, that's your that's your hypothesis.
5: You look. How at, is that see, a hypothesis? You don't even understand the difference between your observation, your hypothesis and a test.
2: Okay, what is your what is your observation? Um, well, I mean, it would be that creatures appear to be related due to physiological and, and differences.
3: Okay, yeah, like morphological similarities. That morphological, was our first, thank you. That was yeah. our first. Um, so, 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 like I said in the very beginning,
5: you look at morphological uh, similarities and you look at the similarities in DNA. And you automatically hypothesize that we all have common ancestors. What do you that mean
2: is automatically hypothesize. Well, that's what, what, what do you do think it? a hypothesis is. That's what you're hypothesizing. That's what you are. Can, yeah. Can you give now, us a if, definition
3: of if hypothesis? You, if, you,
5: if you want, no, you play that game if you like. No. Okay. But if you want to, if you want to hold to that hypothesis, that's fine. Hold to it. Feel free. But don't go claiming it's a fact because I'm going to call BS on you every single time because you have a hypothesis that you cannot test. You cannot test, for instance, whether or not I have a common ancestor with the chimp, because you can't point to that common ancestor. You don't have the DNA of the common ancestor to test to see if it is in fact a common ancestor,
3: or it's just a claim. What about your cousin? Could we test that to see if you're related to your cousin? We're, we're the same species. But could we test Why it? Why does that matter? We're, we're the same species. Why does yeah, that matter?
2: DNA is is the same um, structure. It's the same pr- proteins through all of of uh, uh, same base okay. pairs. Why, why does it matter? Evolution. That doesn't
5: mean it's evolution, dude. That could be a common creator. How do you know you're the same species? How do I know? Yeah. Define species.
3: Well, the biologic, so... what is what is the biological definition of species? So uh, species usually it's... are. Go Sorry, RJ.
2: go ahead. No, no, that's fine. You go.
3: Well, usually it's uh, defined as to a population that can interbreed with each other. And they tend to and, have morphological similarities, but not always. And, and, and? Well, species is
2: sort of, um, it's when a um, mutation sort of vector um, is removed from, populations are removed from one another. So there is a um, differing um, um genetic vector between two different populations is a species
5: so so you guys don't know how to put this simply as
2: well it's not a a simple thing
5: a species it is just simple it's been simple for over 300 years a species is a group of common organisms that are capable of interbreeding and producing fertile offspring period it has nothing to do with dna has nothing to do with genetics that is the entire definition of the word species, when you're talking about biological species.
2: So how do you know you're a human species?
5: Well, let me put it to you this way. I am a Homo sapiens, according to uh, our current classifications. Now, what is Neanderthal? How is Neanderthal defined, classified, but then what are they in reality? Is that that a different species? Uh, You tell me. I mean, we answered your question. You could answer yeah. ours. It's- okay. Well, if you don't know the answer, I will tell you. Neanderthal is classified as Homo Neanderthalus, okay? Homo sapiens are classified as Homo sapiens, two different species. And yet, we have absolute proof. There's that word proof. That we interbred, with Homo, sap- uh, Homo sapiens and Neanderthal interbred and produced our offspring. So, by diving, so you think they're
2: the same species?
5: I don't think they're the same species. According to the definition of a biological species, we are the same species, but we're being that, represented as two different species.
2: Yeah, so that is the scientific to, definition. In, in,
5: unfortunately. Order to, in order to give the appearance of evolution where there is no evolution.
2: So. Yeah, okay. So I think we're getting way off topic into... You know, I, um,
5: I think you're stuck. You can't give me an alternate definition of a biological
2: species. Well, I gave you a definition. I I don't know if you accepted it, but I did give it. I'm talking about
5: biological species. And so, why can two
2: species breed yet produce infertile offspring? Why does that happen? I don't know. And that has nothing to do with the subject. That has nothing to do with. Well, I mean, horses and donkeys can interbreed and produce offspring. Why are they infertile? Why? I don't know. Well, I'll tell you why. It's because their vectors of DNA have diverged. That has nothing to do with the biological definition of species. And yeah, it does. A perfect, that's the that's definition it's, it's, I gave. And the reason why is because no, 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 once no. they have diverged a certain amount, what happens it is, it is, is that those animals can no longer produce fertile offspring. They produce right. infertile offspring, which is why that's, they're different species. They can still is, interbreed and they can still produce offspring. A mule is just an offspring between a donkey and a horse, and it is infertile. And there's a ton of them. There's tigers and lions produced ligers. Um, your, your explanation on, of offspring hold on,
5: hold on, hold on. of
2: species doesn't address that.
5: Well, well, apparently your short-sightedness in this field is not going to help you either, because not all mules are infertile, number one. Lions and tigers interbreed, and they have fertile offspring. Uh, that happens all the time. Dogs, coyotes, and wolves are uh, uh, called separate species, and yet we have coy dogs, we have coy wolves. Mm-hmm. They're uh, they're all the same species according to the biological definition. But in every one of these cases, you have them classified differently to give the yeah. appearance of evolution where there is no evolution.
2: I so want to know wolves- why aren't they? I wolves and know, dogs aren't the same species. One's well, canine lupus, and one's uh, canine familiaris.
5: Oh, uh, so you don't even know that? The the, the uh, dog that is a subspecies of the grey wolf. They're both canis lupus.
2: I, okay. Well, I mean, you, you do know that we um, we sort of domesticated wolves and bred them through artificial now, now, now selection. Still, into that still doesn't what change. Excuse me, Eric, please, please. Um, We've read them into um, what dogs are today
3: from how, how does How does that excuse you from the biological definition of species? Well, you, you can't just say dogs. You have to differentiate domesticated dogs. Why? And Because there's a difference. What? Because of the classification of species they're and the, subspecies. They're the, they're the same species. Well, species is a is an arbitrary concept okay. that, that no, humans. No, it's not. Come up no, with. it's not. But it's no, not it, it is. It's well, not arbitrary. It's no more,
5: yeah. it's no more arbitrary. Saying. No, it's no more arbitrary than mammals and reptiles.
2: It's, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. That's the it's, whole it's, point. It's a man,
5: yeah, that very. Yeah. I so agree. the problem well,
2: is. It, the so problem is you we're trying who, to fit um, the the sort of modern understanding of genetics into the Linnaean system. That's what the problem is. And there's a lot of um, issues with things being really undefined and, and not able to be easily categorised because when you're right. talking about biological really entities, when you're talking about biological entities, they're really hard to classify. There's the, and, and the problem isn't that we have the wrong theory and we have no idea what's going on. The problem is trying to fit these things into a, um, you know, sort of, uh, domain, uh, uh, kingdom, uh, phylum—it is this Linnaean system that we're sort of stuck with. It would be would better like, if I we could trace back. the. Lin- I would like to remind everybody this well, is I just
1: the- to hear the last sentence. Or let, well, let's let Mark finish that in sentence. I promise, yeah, I think I, I
2: think Eric has got a bit of a self-control problem. Um, the 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 problem is trying to fit them in, and um, it would be better if we could. Um, trace the individual genetic lines for each creature and how they diverged but our classification system at the moment is imperfect and that's why as you said about the tree of life the tree of life isn't a perfect representation because it it, it, it is based upon this ordering system that isn't the best thing for for you know, seeing how these these animals work with one another. So, you know, I'm sorry if I got things things wrong, but it, 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 the problem is the, the, the system of ordering, not that we've got the wrong theory. Sorry, go ahead.
5: Okay. Okay. i just like to remind everybody that comes from somebody that did not know that dogs and grey wolves were the same species and said that exactly the other, that the opposite is true. Now, I do respect your position, I do respect your right to hold any position you want to. I really do. Uh, And I would have a beer with either one of you guys. I believe you'd both be fine gents to settle down with and have a beer. And I mean that sincerely. But I want to say this. Where I differ with you and where I'm going to call you out is by making certain uh, statements as though they are true and proven and you have no problems. You've got so many problems with evolution. I could lay them out all night long, and you wouldn't be able to keep up. With it. You've got so many problems, and just like from the very beginning, I told everybody, you'll make lots of claims, but you have no proof for any of it. No, and you don't.
4: You don't well, have it any. Like, to
2: it's,
3: it
4: seems to, to be you who's evidence. doing that. You're the one yeah, who's
2: doing and, that, though. And I have a question to ask you: Are horses and donkeys the same species? I would say they are. You would say they are, but sure. scientists don't say they are. Are uh, tigers I, and lions the same species? I, I don't I don't care what they say they are. I care about
5: the definition that we have before us, the three hundred year old definition.
2: Are tigers and lions the same species? This definition is only a problem for evolutionists. Yeah. Are lions and tigers the same species?
5: Yes, according to the biological definition.
2: Okay. So you think tigers and lions are the same species? Can I just focus on, okay, maybe I got something wrong, but you actually think and will try and defend that lions and tigers are the same species? If you're going to say that they're not like creatures that have the ability to interbreed and produce
5: fertile offspring, fine, believe that. But the definition of species, biological definition of species, that's exactly what it is. So, if you want to differ on definitions, that's fine. Differ. If you want to differ on classification, differ. But I'm just pointing out, you have to make adjustments because you're trying to uh, you're trying to defend evolution. We don't I we, to make
3: it we don't
1: have I thought to we make agreed of, on the
3: species definition though. I thought we, we agreed on the definition. We don't, we don't I thought, have to. thought you did.
1: I wanna give yeah. a in a brief once you're uh, once you conclude this point that you're making, Eric, I wanna give Mark and Atheist Jr. a chance. And then we definitely have to see if Sal is still. Yeah, I <laughs> think <he's> Sal. Still, <laughs> so we've left him yeah. out for a while. I'm so sorry,
3: ahead. Sal. You don't want to be a two on one debate. Yeah, yeah. That's a bit
1: if you well, want to okay. wrap up that point here.
5: Sure. Let, let me just point out that, just like I said in the beginning, it's the onus is on them to prove that evolution is true, and they're full of claims. They're full of claims, and I have uh, something here I want to put into chat. Um,
1: While you do that, we'll kick it over to Mark and Atheist Junior.
2: Yeah, I think that that sort of saying, oh, well, you require absolute proof. And and there's these kind of things that are, um, you know, you've got to go back and and DNA test uh, archaeopteryx, but can't be DNA tested and things like this is just, um, it's kind of just a tap dancing. um, All we can do is present strong evidence for evolution and why. And of course, like we're not, geneticists or, or evolutionary biologists, they can certainly present it in much greater detail and much stronger than we can. Um, but we can just present the strong evidence we have from multiple different lines um, um, why we think that evolution is true, which I, I think we have done. Now, it sounds to me, and I, I may be incorrect, that for religious and and sort of uh, I, I touched on miracles earlier to get the ERVs into different genomes, um, They don't want to believe the evidence that's in front of them, and that's their decision. But all we can do is present the incredibly strong evidence that's out there. AJ?
3: Yeah, I mean, if I can just list really quickly, uh, if it's on us to provide evidence for evolution, then we have different fields uh, that not only confirm evolution, but also cross-confirm evolution, like anatomy, molecular biology, biogeography, like where we find different animals living on earth and where their fossils are and the fossils themselves. And I gave an example of what I think is direct observation of evolution with the single celled algae going to multicellular.
2: Yeah. And the thing is that all of these lines of evidence converge on one answer. It isn't just, we take one by itself and say, Hey, that's the the smoking gun or the, 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 big thing kind of thing. There's strong evidence and, yeah, there's weaker evidence, but they all converge on one answer, and that's the, the strength of the evolutionary theory, that it has multiple lines that all give the same answer. And and you're sort of just saying, well, it's got nothing to do with one another and I don't believe it. Well, that's fine, but the evidence is out there. No, I'm, I'm not saying that at all, my friend. What I'm saying is
5: you have an observation, you have a hypothesis, but it's untestable. You cannot test any of your hypotheses. And then you go around calling them facts. That's where I have a problem with your side. You're not being you're not being intellectually honest. You're calling your hypothesis. You're saying because I de- developed this hypothesis or somebody else developed it and I'm holding to it, because we hold to this hypothesis, that is t- that is a test as to whether or not this is true. Well, that's not what a test is that's that's the that's the hypothesis you have built on an observation and it's untestable
4: is my mic working yeah
2: yeah yeah, it is
4: regarding the uh transition supposedly from single cell to multi-cell that could be a transgenerational plasticity i'll give you an example of a multicellular organism becoming a single celled organism that is the canine transmissible venereal tumor. We had a full dog express a cancerous tumor, and now it's a single-celled uh, parasite that transmits between dog. We do not expect that to ever evolve back into fully functional dog. Why not? Um, so there are plenty of examples where evolution is reductive, where it's lost to function, and that's a good example right there. And... To, 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 cite, to cite that algae thing as macroevolution, we actually may not have surveyed, have a large enough sample size to see if it had these trans- gener- generational plasticities. They're probably better terms that people use, but that's the problem. Regarding um, independent origins, if the earth is young, if the fossil record is young, and that would be young earth creationism, just on scientific evidence alone, I've asked Evolutionary biologists, will there be enough time for universal common ancestry? They'll say no. So therefore, the similarity has to be because of common design, not common descent. Young Earth creationism, and I've said this, it's still hard. We have a lot way to go to make a scientific case for that. The alternative would be something like progressive or old Earth creationism. So that does raise the question, if it's young Earth, why are we so similar to other creatures? It is, I have posited that these other creatures are model organisms. They help us, we help understand human biology by having a progression of creatures all the way from bacteria to chimpanzees. That's why we do medical research using bacteria to understand our own genome. We use yeast to understand chromatin. We use nematodes and other creatures to understand our nervous system, et cetera, et cetera. So Um, I would just say it's common design, and it can be with a testable prediction. Uh, Young Earth creationism has some testable predictions, like the decaying magnetic field. If that is vindicated, maybe not in my lifetime, but in certainly civilization's lifetime, that would lend credence that these are independent origins. So just because evolution succeeds in some predictions doesn't mean... It, it can't be falsified by all these other ones. That's how geocentrism failed as a hypothesis. Geocentric, geocentric models correctly predicted eclipses and lots of other things and seasons, but it was fundamentally wrong because of the anomalous things. I've tried to provide some evidences of what are anomalous in evolutionary theory. Thank you. I want to give well, a chance to
2: atheist Jr. But. Just yeah. giving
4: everybody maybe a two to
1: five minute warning before we go into the Q&A. But go ahead, Mark and Atheist Jr.
2: Yeah, your, your problem there, Sal, is you're sort of saying evolution wouldn't expect multicellular to single cell, and that's not the case. Um, the, the, evolution expects whatever is fittest for its environment. Doesn't doesn't say that that the aim of life is to get to multicellularity. It doesn't say that that's the best for the environment. It, that may well be the case, but that's not necessarily so. So yes, multicellular to single cell is an example of evolution. It has evolved to gain some benefit. Now it might have. Lost Lost functionality in some ways, but if that is beneficial for the organism, it will be selected for. So, when you do sort of say these things, you've got to not misrepresent what evolution actually posits as its hypothesis. Now, you touched on the waiting time problem. There isn't enough time for things to evolve over time. You touched upon that. But the problem here is creationists want to see um, uh, mutations happen in series, one after another, after another, after another. And then they say, oh, there can't possibly be enough time. The problem with that is that mutations don't happen that neatly in a serial pattern one after the other, after the other, after the other. They happen in parallel, in populations. So some of the population might have, you know, sort of some mutations, some population might have, part of the population might have other mutations, and then recombination sort of makes them work in parallel as it goes down. So nobody except creationists say that there's a problem with the amount of time. And I'm not sure what the decaying magnetic field has to do with this. I think that's completely off the topic and I'm not that familiar with the decay of the magnetic field. Um, I think that in order to show that a decaying magnetic field um, has has some sort of impact on, on uh, 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 mutation and population, then you would certainly have to, to show, you know, do more than make the claim that is so. And, and granted, you did say that might be later on, but um, I would love to see something, you know, sort of experimented on about that. Uh, do you have well, anything to add, AJ?
3: Yeah. Um, I will. You'll, you'll notice that when I brought up my algae example, they didn't go from single to multicellular just for no reason. There's something called a selection pressure, which was the introduction of a predator into their environment and the example you brought up with the uh the parasite is interesting i don't know if going single cellular made it easier for it to transmit to another host or not but um that is an interesting sort of parallel uh but these type of changes that they're not going to happen unless there's a selection pressure unless there's some sort of advantage to be gained uh you're not going to see changes like this so they're not going to just happen for an arbitrary reason which i think a lot of creationists ask like uh why doesn't a turtle uh, grow wings or something like that instead of getting a longer neck to reach vegetation well it's because it already has a neck so it's easier for it to just change the structure it already has rather than completely grow a new structure like this and um, I'm not really familiar uh, either with the decaying magnetic field but we might actually see the magnetic field flip in our lifetime so that's interesting but I'm done
1: Opportunity, We are going to jump into the Q&A, folks. Want to say thanks so much for your questions. And want to remind you, our guests are linked in the description. That includes the podcast. You can find their links down below. If you didn't know, folks, our debates end up on the Modern Day Debate Podcast, available at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and find podcasts everywhere. And we put our guest links in the description box there in case you'd like to learn more about their views. What are you waiting for? Click those links with this first question coming in from Do Appreciate It. Derpenheimer says, What could someone do to falsify evolution?
4: I'll take that. It depends on how you define it. If you define it by common ancestry, the way to, to falsify common ancestry is if we find evidence the Earth is young. And even evolutionary biologists will say there's just simply not enough time. The patterns of similarity would then be uh, attributable to acts of special creation and that's how it could be falsified i referred to the magnetic field decay there are other evidences for a young earth that is one of them that's a very complex topic and i'll be the first to admit that i even though i will make the case for a young earth i don't think I, I think we're we have a long way to go to prove it i personally believe it is young
1: Got it. Thanks very much for your question. Do appreciate it. Joe Schwartz says, what will the next stage of human human evolution look like, and why aren't we there yet?
2: Well, the humans sort of have interrupted, and a lot of papers sort of say we have interrupted the evolutionary process, because um, detrimental mutations that come up, they're not... Being um, weeded out like they would in nature due to medicine and our, our changes of environment. So I think the next stage in human evolution will maybe be a theoretical one, sort of a, a um, you know manipulating DNA directly. Um, but it, it's sort of impossible to tell. Um, it, it supposes a whole lot and supposes a whole a whole massive stuff of the way that humanity goes. But um, I, I personally think that direct genetic manipulation will be the next evolution of humans, intentional uh, evolution.
3: Yeah, I, I think this is a fascinating topic. So um, mm. evolution and, and uh, so organisms are sort of plastic to their environment. So I've always wondered, and I don't think this is something that I could see the changes in my lifetime, but how the in the invention of the Internet and how it's become so critical to people's lives might actually affect human evolution because it's changed our environment, our lifestyles so much to where people are a lot more insular and sedentary. And I also have to wonder about the sort of meta effect of once you become aware of evolution, does that also have some sort of effect on it? Like Mark said, directly changing uh, DNA. And then it raises all type of moral questions about, is it right to alter the genome of your baby before it's born? Stuff like that, uh, taking out possibly genetic disorders and stuff like that, which I'm all for. But I think it's a very interesting topic, but I I would have to say that I don't know
1: personally. You got it. And thank you very much for this question coming in from Sunflower says, Mark on ERVs, which can you remind me? I remember it's retroviruses. Endogenous retroviruses. That's right. Mark on ERVs. You're not allowed to invoke quote unquote likelihood or probability. When confronted with the fine-tuning argument and the entailed improbability, you and your ilk just hand-wave it. Be consistent.
2: Well, the, the fine-tuning problem is sort of um, addressed because we have... Um, uh, th- there's theor- theories or hypothesis rather, to get around it, like multiverse um, theory, for instance. And, and, and um, the, the problem here is that we know there's only one way that retrovirus can get into every cell in the organism's body. We know that there's um, uh, millions of target sites it could choose, and yet it's the same target site through every single instance in those organisms Um, for, as I said, between humans and chimps, for instance, 205 of them. Um, I don't know, and, and you have to say probability when you're talking about a... Um, a virus inserting itself somewhere in the DNA, I'm I'm not sure how you would get around that, how you would say, hey, it chooses the site. It it doesn't. We we know that it doesn't because we are familiar with retroviruses. HIV is a retrovirus and it doesn't choose. And and, and this is just not how they work. So um, unfortunately, you're sort of comparing apples and oranges here um, and, and nobody says that you can't address the, fi- the probability in fine tuning. It just says that there are defeaters for the probability question in fine tuning. You don't yeah. think DNA? You don't think
5: DNA is designed to store certain things in de- certain areas? I don't Not think like it's viruses.
2: designed at all. Yeah, I, I don't science. think it's designed at all. That I agree okay. with AJ. I don't think it's designed, and I don't think it's designed to store viruses. No.
5: Well, um, you, you certainly have a lot of scientists who disagree with you, but, uh, but okay, let me ask you
1: something. What is the I, just to stick with the audience the, questions? I I do want to give Mark a chance to give any sort of response. Yeah, I, I don't I don't
2: know one. what I don't know what scientists say that DNA is designed to store viruses. That I I would like to see that citation.
1: This one from Oflamio says, "What is your definition of time?" I suppose all speakers could. This could be for all of you.
4: Uh. Thank you for your question. I would say time is an undefined. In mathematics and physics, we have entities that are undefined. That means you don't define it succinctly. It's only really understood by examining the whole system. Um, So thank you for the question.
3: Well, um, I would say that um, when it comes to physics, you don't really separate time and space You combine them in a mathematical model that combines the three dimensions of space and the one uh, dimension of time into like a four-dimensional manifold and time itself which i guess it would just be a linear sort of sequence of events that we can only experience going one way but that's our own interpretation of it so i could be wrong
2: yeah i agree with aj on the space-time and i think that it is sort of poorly defined um, and our understanding of, of space-time is, is really just getting off the ground floor at the moment. Um, but yeah, that that's good enough for me.
1: You got it. Anybody else? This one coming in from Cameron Hall says, creationists, since Homo sapiens are great apes, how did we speciate in 6,000 years?
5: In the first place, I'm an old earth creationist. Um <clears throat> In the second place, 6,000 years, the Bible nowhere says that man has only been here for 6,000 years, nor does it say anywhere that this earth is 6,000 years old. never makes any such statement. So, no, that, that just... Uh... And besides, that question has nothing to do with proving that evolution is true. Um, at all. As a matter of fact, I would go so far as to say that there's no time for evolution. And science has proven this. Modern, accepted, scientific experimentation, and I can put it right in front of you right now, that shows you, beyond any shadow of any doubt, that there's no time for the Pachycetus to evolve into a whale. There's no time for a common ancestor to evolve into a monkey and a chimp. It's simply not possible.
4: Cell, any thoughts? Sail. I, I think they were specially created. Um, I used to be a theistic evolutionist, then became an old Earth creationist and a young Earth creationist. I worked for a top genetic engineer, a uh, retired Cornell research professor, John C. Sanford. And I think the evidence is consistent that the human genome is deteriorating very fast. Even an evolutionary biologist by the name of Kondrashov said, uh, rhetorically asked, why aren't we dead 100 times over? So I don't think the human species could have been here very long, therefore we were specially created by a miraculous act. That is also a testable prediction as far as genetic deterioration. Some evolutionary biologists think that we're not gonna last long and we can also test within like say the next few generations whether we're getting dumber and sicker, which also seems to be the case.
1: Any thoughts? Okay, this one coming in from do appreciate it. Bitter truth says question to believers. Why living organism, Why are living organisms genetically close to each other? Don't you think they all have a common ancestor? If not, explain why not.
5: Uh, Dr. Craig Venter, the foremost geneticist in the world, says there is no tree of life of common descent. It's an artifact of old science that hasn't worked out. And if Dr. Craig Venter, the world's foremost geneticist in the world that has actually written on his own computer uh, DNA and injected it into a E. coli bacteria cell and watched it come to life and replicate if he says it,
3: I'm not going to argue with him. It doesn't exist. I don't think there's one specific person who's like the best geneticist in the world. Science doesn't really have uh, authority figures like that that are just the the one best person in genetics, so. Well, he's the one that so many people would love to have work for He he actually
2: worked with Francis Collins who headed up the Human Genome Project and Francis Collins absolutely says that evolution is real. So I'm, I'm not sure what his stance on it, but his colleagues um, yeah. Seem to disagree with him.
3: Yeah, well, and uh, if Richard
5: Dawkins disagreed with him too, but he didn't argue with him.
3: Yeah, that's that's what I wanted to mention is that him and Richard Dawkins have disagreed on the tree of life, but I would bet you that both of them agree that evolution itself happened and is continuing to happen. So there are disagreements about the specifics in the field yes. of evolutionary biology, but that doesn't mean that scientists think that it's not true.
4: I'll tell you why I believe that there are patterns of similarity and diversity. Uh, And this is actually in some of my published work on protein biology. It's very complicated stuff. But fundamentally, if we didn't have other creatures, we would not be able to research ourselves. Uh, Marshall Nirenberg, who won the Nobel Prize, was able to figure out the genetic code by studying bacteria. It would have been brutal to try to start off with something as complex as a human being. So this progression of forms enables the scientific method Uh, it's great that we don't have to dissect baby human fetuses we can do this with pigs so i think these are provided by the designer to help us so we can either look at this as uh, the similarities as due to common ancestry or as a gift to common design that helps us uh, do science i prefer the latter
1: this one coming in from do appreciate your question summer good to see you says sal the idea that biology is maximized towards efficiency is a false concept, even in theory. Look at the structure of the kidney, for example. It needs to filter water through it multiple times, and even then there is still waste.
4: Thank you very much for that comment. Uh, evolutionary biologists have, it, have just the habit of just sticking their mouth, sticking their foot in their mouth like Jerry Coyne and talking about bad design. It's the biophysicists that are saying, biology is optimized, it's more perfect than we imagined. You can go on my channel, I have a recording of William Beileck of either Princeton or Yale, and he gave the Hans Bethe lecture, and he said, the way biology is optimized, it's so good we can't even match it. It's at the edge of physics. So it just depends on what you mean, uh, what the criteria you apply for good or bad. But in terms of, Some things like sensory organs and uh, energy efficiency and et cetera, and timing, it is at the maximum. Just look at that and you have a different perception. And I will point out Jerry Coyne said the retina was poorly wired. He used this bad design argument until the physicist said these things are great waveguides. It is exceptional. Anyone who's worked with waveguides in electrical engineering and electromagnetic theory, uh, their jaw drops at this. So it depends on who you ask. Uh, who will say it's good or bad, but I'll tell you the technology uh, in biology on many levels exceeds anything we can do, such as the ability of sharks to sense electric fields. Thank, thank you very much for the question. You got it. This one coming in from Stupid Whore Energy.
1: She's <laughs> back. She says, didn't Topo 2 likely begin as DNA cleaver that evolved the ability to do strand passage? Type IB is an example they are related to recombination proteins you get a working topo from a nuclease by a single amino acid change
4: i have to dispute that uh by the way miss energy nice to see you one of my favorite people the uh the problem with using endonucleases is you can invoke that but then how do you stitch things back together so an endonuclease can cut it doesn't untangle and it doesn't reconnect so just assuming that you have, uh, you can evolve a, uh, a topo for something that's just the cutter. Where, where's the ligation happening? Where is the untangling happening? Where's the sensing of the knot? So um, one mutation, it's like, well, which one? Because I can identify several that, if you, uh, if it's not there, the topo doesn't work.
1: You got Thank it, you. Anne. Thank, Thank you me. very much for your question. This one coming in from, thanks for your super sticker, Ian Davenport and bitter truth says green anoles evolved in 15 years look whale pelvis hip joint testes hair long fingers under wings isn't this evolution how can you decline fact eric or sal okay I
4: have to repeat that i'm sorry
1: they said green annals evolved in 15 years look whale I don't even know what annals. Have you guys ever heard of this word? They're like lizards. Oh, thank you. Said they evolved in 15 years. Look, whale has a pelvis. I think they're saying like if you look at alleged whale transitionary fossils, try to stay as neutral as possible. They say whale pelvis. No,
2: modern ones. They have sort of the remnants of a pelvic bone.
1: Okay. They say whale uh, pelvis slash hip joint slash testes, hair slash long fingers under wings isn't this evolution how can you decline fact
5: and i've seen it evolved in
1: 15 years oh you're saying annals did
4: um appreciate the reference i've never heard of anything like that and then the other thing is you can't count out transgenerational plasticity so characterizing transgeneral plasticity is the result of random mutation in natural selection uh, that's not right, and we, we need to study this more because a lot of things that were claimed to be natural selection and random mutation ended up to be environmentally-sensed plasticity. So this is a more complex topic, and evolutionary biologists have a way of just botching up the data and attributing it to something, and then it gets overturned by future information.
1: This one from Bitter Truth says, Evolution is giving us model a model. If you reject, then what is your model? how universe was created including living organisms
4: oh, I don't want to take it. miracle of God.
1: yeah a
5: miracle of God. you know there, there's something to be said for this too. Uh, Mark brought up the second uh, chromosome as evidence for evolution and they keep saying well this is evidence of fusion. this is and, and because it was fused, this has to be evolution. Well I disagree with that uh it's not proof of evolution it's it's proof that a chromosome fused which happens all the time now what gets me what i find interesting for the creationist is that this is the second chromosome and what my opponents may not be aware of is what the second chromosome actually represents and, and controls it controls higher intelligence and coordination. Now, why is this important? Because when you look at the Bible,
1: and God created mankind. Just because I, I we got forgive me, but just because I, I can't remember how it was related to the the let's see, it wasn't. Um, I'll give you a little bit to finish up, but then I do want to also because you addressed one of Mark's points earlier. Once you finish up, I do want to give Mark a chance to actually respond. Okay.
5: Well, yes. When you get to when you get to this when you get to this point and you look at the second chromosome and what it actually does, when God created man in his own image and created him specifically to subdue the world, to take charge of everything around him, make the world his, he was going to be in charge. He was going to overtake the entire planet, be in charge of all the animals. And that's exactly what the second chromosome would have controlled it gives him the ability to do this and i'm telling you i think that this right here is more evidence for special creation than it is for anything else because that's exactly what we've done we are we we are in a total class of our own
1: we're not like other
5: animals we are gods on this earth compared to the other animals
1: you got it we'll give mark a chance to respond because you addressed his point earlier yeah, and, and so
2: this this whole thing is is sort of a bit weird. Um, okay, so chromosome Zone 2 infusion, I pointed out why we believe that they have fused. Uh, it's very strange for someone to sort of go, oh, well, it was an act of God after going on and on and on about unfalsifiable claims and then provides the most unfalsifiable claim you could ever make in your entire lifetime, which is a supernatural being use some sort of 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 magic to make it happen so that humans could rule the earth how exactly do, you, do would would one go about falsifying that it it it's it's ironic I think and and quite sort of hypocritical to be so bold to say to make a claim like that after going on and on and on about unfalsifiable claims. Um, Yeah, so, I mean, we presented the evidence that they did fuse, we presented the evidence that we, you know, the telomeres and the centromeres. Um, For for somebody to just go back and say, well, it was God, I I don't think that's a very good answer. And I think that it doesn't address the question at all, which is is, what model do we have? Because just saying God has... No explanatory power. It doesn't explain anything. It's not so a We have okay so many you.
1: questions, Eric. I, I hate to do this, but just because we have so many questions, I do have to we have to keep moving. Guy with the hair says, Eric says, quote, it's, un, it's an unfalsifiable claim. It's science fiction. By Eric's logic, the alternative claim of a creator or God is science fiction, as it's also unfalsifiable. Well, I'm
5: glad that he brought that up. You see, here's the point. You see, do you see the double standard here? It's okay for my opponents to do this. It's okay for the atheist side to do this. It's okay for the evolutionists to do this when that's all they have to offer. The only thing they have to offer are claims that they cannot prove, just blatant claims. And they'll sit here and admit they can't prove it. And then they'll say science doesn't prove anything, in fact, in in, in spite of the fact that. Science proves things every single day. It just does. Their science doesn't prove anything. Because yeah, that's, that's not
3: what I said. I, I would so, like well, to just well, take this opportunity me, to I, add something to get, on, the last, on the last on the last question. It's just I I I wasn't uh, aware that chromosomes allow us to have higher functions. I thought that was the neocortex of our brain. I thought cor- chromosomes just assisted well, DNA replication. You
5: don't know what the second chromosome is responsible for, and I was only the second I, one. I would suspect googling it. Okay, I'll do uh, I, would, I would advise. I would advise you to Google. I'd uh,
2: just, I'd just like to add, just very quickly, that that um, evolution isn't an atheist thing. There's plenty of evolutionary biologists, geneticists, all people working in the evolutionary field, which are theists. They believe in a god. Well, so the, the difference is, uh, as a
5: creationist, I choose to believe in creation because I've studied evolution. As as an atheist you are forced to accept that evolution is true. Otherwise, true. I don't have course. to accept evolution. Of course you do. I
1: don't. Mm-hmm. You have Just to read from that.
5: do have, have so many accept-
1: questions. I, I do want to get to as many questions as we come before we run out of time. This one from Standing for... Oh, well, we got that one. Bitter Truth says, evolution based on empirical evidence. What about religion? Just belief without any evidence. How can we believe in fake ideology and blindly follow it? Sal, if you have any thoughts?
4: I, I'm going to break with my creationist and ID fellows. I would say the idea of God is outside of testable science. We can use scientific arguments in favor of creation. That means evidence against evolution, evidence against abiogenesis, is evidence in favor of creation. Even Ernst Haeckel said, at least as far as abi, well, what he called spontaneous generation, is if we don't have it, then we have to our only recourse is supernatural creation. So uh, the thing about evolution is, I've just shown all these things where you guys have to, where evolutionary biologists have to accept it that it happens naturally. That is according to uh, ordinary laws of physics and chemistry, and that is not supported uh, empirically. So it's like Uh, there's plenty of faith as far as believing in evolutionary biology and its major claims that this happens naturally and well within ordinary laws of physics and chemistry. And, And one of those where it fails is in the transition from prokaryote to eukaryote. And this is a very complex thing. Most people don't study this. That's why I'm trying to bring attention to it. You'll see that you'll need miracles of special creation if you invoke universal common ancestry. And at what point when, what point do statistical miracles, if they, you know, if we can infer it, uh, when will that, you know, how, how improbable does it have to be before you'll accept that it's a miracle of God? This one I, would,
1: I
2: would, sorry, go ahead, James, sorry.
1: I'll give you a just because there haven't been a lot of questions for you. I'll give you a chance, really quick, Mark. Okay.
2: Well, I, I disagree with just the dichotomy. I understand what you're saying, Sal, that disproving evolution would point towards a miracle. I get what you're saying, but that's a false dichotomy. The reason why is because there can be other things postulated, like aliens coming down and building these things at certain times. That isn't a god. So the problem here is that you're you're raising a false dichotomy, evolution or god, where the options are evolution or not evolution. And, and that's your problem. You're trying to insert a god into a dichotomy that is not not there. Um, so, uh, and I, I don't believe in that explanation either. I, I sincerely believe in evolution, but that's your problem. You can't just assume God because not evolution.
5: Well, there's something else that you, are that you can't assume, and that is I, there's there's more to God than just that. There is also the fact that we know God. Some of us do, anyway. We have actual experience with God. I could ask you, do you know your parents? How do you know you had parents? Well, you have experience with your parents. You have conversations with your parents. You may have eaten with your parents. I have experience with God. I've had experience with God all my life. Uh, I've seen God. I've heard God. I've, I've talked to God. God has spoken to me. Now, some people might ridicule that, and that's okay. They're entitled not to believe me if they don't want to. But that's the difference between us. Some of us do, in fact, know God. But none of you, in fact, know evolution
3: occurred. And you sure can't prove it.
1: Any thoughts, Atheist Jr., before we go to the question? We we haven't heard much from you either.
3: Well, I, I do... I'm not even going to touch that one, but I think there might be a nugget of truth to what Sal was saying, that with um, evolutionary biology, specifically paleontology, there are large gaps where we kind of have to sort of fill in our own explanations that may or may not be right, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we should go to a fallacy like God of the gaps instead. Now, we I think the foundations of the field, like of paleontology, are based in science to where we can make these assumptions and guesses they're educated guesses but filling in those blanks with uh, a god did it i don't think is a better method than just East. making these educated guesses I've got to run evolution
1: to the next one i hate to do this but just because I'm, I'm trying to get mark and atheist jr in because there aren't a lot of questions for them but I, so that's why i've got to run to the next one this one appreciate your question this one from stupid whore energy Says, isn't the fact that ERVs are solo LTRs and the result of recombination and deletion events of full length proviral genomes support common ancestry?
4: Uh, Long terminal repeats. Uh, th- thank you for your question, uh, uh, Miss Energy. Um, and I always do shows in, that uh, collect her questions because she asks good ones. The, the, the fact that ERVs are, are seeming to be positioned in just the right locations to be able to do what we call uh, gene regulation through the 4D nucleome uh, suggests that the, this is not these are not random insertions. There may be some, but the majority would have to be for coordinated function. And then again, I refer to the Google Sternberg Collins paradox, you'll see my description of this you also see, that, you know, the, the what happens is you have things like the zinc finger CAP1 complex that docks on these things and does gene regulation, sometimes possibly even transchromosomally. So um, I, I, I reject the idea that these are random insertions. We're finding more function for these the more that we study. So at the very least, it's premature. And whenever air pollution bi- biologist say, says it's a mistake, history has proven them wrong and I'm, I'm not going to bet that they're going to be right. Uh, they'll be wrong again on that. But thank you for the question.
5: And the, the fact of the genome itself, uh, the fact that it is mapped is proof that specific parts of the DNA are, are made specifically to perform specific functions. And that would be including storing of re- retroviruses.
1: Give a chance to Atheist Jr. Mark, if you had anything to add before we go to the next one.
2: Uh, no, not really, although, you know, um I think I think um I'm not familiar with this paradox, I'll certainly read up on it, but um um I, I don't think Sternberg is uh well regarded um after he did put this out as far as I, I, I'm aware. Uh, maybe Sal can enlighten us on that one.
1: Yeah, we could just move on. You got it, and Thank you very much for your question or your support, I should say. Standing for truth says keep up the great work, James, my man. Appreciate your support. As well as Alyosha. thanks for your huge support. Says thanks for hosting this. Thank you. And thank you to our guests, as well as everybody for your questions. That that makes the QA. But also our guests are linked in the description. They are the lifeblood of the channel. We highly encourage you to check out their links. If you haven't, what are you waiting for? Their links are wait basically waiting for you right now, including if you're at the podcast. Pure Aussie Gold says, just to embarrass me, two tickets to the gun show on Tag <laughs> Team Tuesday. Amazing. Thanks for your support. And this one coming in from Bitter Truth says, why human and chimpanzee chromosomes are similar? Question to believers. Why we have genetic similarity with chimpanzees. Oh,
4: the answer is to optimize scientific discoverability. And by the way, I'm gonna have an after show just to, uh, so I could be a little, you know, I could address some of the audience questions a little bit more in detail. So uh, it's on my channel. That's a lot of self-promotion there, but I do wanna honor that question. I will address it um, in my after show. But the fact that we have model organisms, we don't have to sacrifice human fetuses. Instead, we could do this, these terrible cruel experiments to mice, et cetera, that's a gift to God. And every Christian that is a theistic evolutionist, I just tell you, you ought to be thinking about maybe that it was specially created for your sake, that we don't have to do things like embryonic stem cell research on human fetuses.
1: You got it. This one coming in from, do appreciate your question. Sunflower says, for what it's worth, I have a bachelor's in biochem. I am far more qualified and educated on this topic than AJ and Mark. Bye. Jeez. I don't know who you're gonna win over with that. Uh, that is that's not that's, a question. That, that's, neither, that's
3: of is, neither of those were questions. So that's true. Well, that's okay. That's comments. all right.
2: But thanks for your, um, you know, pointing out my lack of credentials, sunflower. I, I think I did bring that up at the start. But thanks for reinforcing that there. Um, I think Sal is the only one, uh, unless Eric does have some kind of degree in in uh, uh, bio. I Kim, think, I think, aren't you a biomechanical engineer, Sal? I, I do apologize. I can't remember your credentials.
1: I don't even know where that came uh, from. Sunflower, I get it. Sunflower or... is
2: just, yeah, a bit angry, I think. I'm not sure. I, I love your
1: sunflower. I really s- do. Slightly pedantic. But this one coming <laughs> in from Derpenheimer says, this one, Bitter True, says, why chimpanzee chromosome 2A and 2B similar to human chromosome? I think you basically address this sal do you feel like you have
4: uh just my previous answer and thank you very much for the uh, uh super chat and the question these are great questions thank you
1: well
3: can i i wanted to comment on the on a previous question this one's really similar but the reason that humans and chimps have genetic similarities is because humans chimps and bonobos descended from a common ancestor like six or seven million years ago so which one we're closely related
5: one which common ancestor?
3: an ape. That, that's the claim. Which common ancestor? I don't know the specific one, I, I, but yeah. It, it, so it's, it's your, it doesn't really matter. It's just a claim that you can't even point to one and
5: say that's it. Much less have something testable. You just make a claim and throw it out there as fact. In other words, that's scientifically irresponsible.
3: Okay. Well, in, in, exact- fairness,
2: in fairness, this isn't a scientific paper. This is just a debate, well, Eric. In, like, in, is-
5: in, fairness, <laughs> in fairness, Mark, this is exactly what you used with the fellow that you uh, you and he discussed dinosaurs. And I, I, I'm actually, uh, I, I thought you had a good point there. Uh, three different times I could point them out. I've got the timestamps from the video on your site where you were debating the and uh, you I simply interrupt. said you simply said that you can't look at these things and just make a claim and call
2: that scientific. You said that three different times.
5: And yeah, yet, that's so, what
2: you're- yeah so, so I mean, I can, I can point to articles and papers that sort of say what the common ancestor is. It's uh, uh, Cleobates. Um, yeah. But they're, they're what we're pointing to. We're not just making the claim in a vacuum with nothing to point to. Yes, this, you this are. Is the problem. Show it to us. Uh, okay, uh, okay. What? I'll, I'll go get it out of my backyard. I'm not sure what you're expecting here.
1: This one oh, coming. I'm... Yeah, I hate to do this. We've good. We got to move forward. Snake was right. Friend of the channel. Friend of. I, I think you guys. Yeah, I was gonna say a lot of you guys have crossed swords with Snake was right before. It says Sal, <laughs> if tornadoes actually. <laughs> you guys are perverts. It says if tornadoes actually selected junk. For functional structure, then shouldn't we expect them to make cars? Um,
4: well, i that's exactly the, you know, the, the point is that they wouldn't. So the premise is false. There's no reason. It, it, the, the point is no, no reason to, to pursue it further. So, so the, the thing is, as far as evolution goes, there's a lot of randomizing, there if we talk about random mutations and I was trying to point to the diagrams, you know, I know that um, some people don't like that thing where I said cars, the point is geometry. You have to have connecting parts. Uh, Biology works because you have connecting parts. They're, They're much more precise than anything you would do with cars as far as geometry in the connectivity you need to have charge distributions so that they match where the positive matches the negative on the corresponding part this is very difficult to to put together so uh, tornado is a figure of speech for the randomizing actions of uh, whatever goes on in the in the process of reproduction it's just not going to make coordinated structures particularly multimeric proteins
1: You got it, and Thank you very much for this question coming in from Stupid or Energy says, in endosymbiosis, there is going to be an intermediate stage where the gene will be in both genomes. The cell has a chance to evolve to control a copy from the nucleus without losing the function in the mitochondria.
4: The problem with the endosymbiotic hypothesis, and I covered it in one debate before, is that uh, 85% 85% of the mitochondrial genome is in the nuclear, is, is is in the nucleus. So you have all these transport issues. Oh, that's the other thing. The membrane-bound nucleus is very problematic, uh, and endosymbiosis does not solve that. So uh, uh, again, it you know one of the problems as I mentioned it was nuclear localization. So endo- endosymbiosis, even if you assume it as uh, contributing to eukaryotic evolution, it really doesn't explain the fundamental. Uh, salient features of eukaryotic components such as membrane bound organelles and then other things like spliceosomes etc etc this one from appreciate it better truth says bible says the
1: earth is flat with the sun orbiting earth and that god made this world in six days and god made plants first and then the sun do you believe in this question
4: to the believers
5: that's not what the bible says
4: I don't believe in a flat Earth. I do believe in a, rel- in a young Earth, maybe less than ten thousand years. Thank you, thank you for the uh, question, everybody. You got it. And this
1: one coming in from do appreciate your question, Contrarian Four Two Zero says evolution requires quote an initial replicator. No.
3: Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, it does, and but that abiogenesis is not part of evolutionary theory that doesn't mean it's not important it's a very important field of science but according to Bro- that's not so uh Who? just let aj finish agree no i mean uh, i'm pretty much done but that's all i wanted to say Bubble.
2: yeah I, I, I would agree with aj and 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 um the, i just want to mention that abiogenesis isn't as Um, well fleshed out as evolution we know some of the steps to abiogenesis Uh, it's not uh, abiogenesis theory because we haven't got that level of evidence that that evolution has so we're a bit fuzzier on abiogenesis and that's perfectly fine Um, there's a number of hypotheses about how it came forward and there's much disagreement about it Um, but it's fascinating nonetheless and hopefully we can shed more light on it as tests go on in, in labs thank you
1: this one from Bubblegum Gun says Snake was right, wants to debate me, set it up. Well maybe. Email me. Bitter Truth says God made isn't God made it isn't a good explanation and only a story, but not a model. Is this because God failed?
3: I, I, I do agree with the uh, the idea that it's not a model because I think it's more of an ad hoc explanation after the fact rather than trying to use hypotheses based on um, phenomena and observations and then making predictions and doing experiments and seeing if those predictions come true versus just explaining things after the fact by saying God did it.
2: Is God failed? He's referencing the flood, maybe. I, I don't know. It's not my question. Sorry, I'll let, let the um, um, others answer. The.
4: The creationist model does lead to some testable predictions such as decaying genomes this is verifiable if the genomes not just of humans but of other creatures are, are are losing complexity this would indicate that uh, evolution really never worked in the first place if you just google reductive evolution and there's even a paper by eugene coonan that the major mode of evolution the dominant mode is reductive evolution and then they have these unexplained bursts of complexity so that's indistinguishable from miracles. So this does lead to testable predictions, depending on which creationist model you have. And uh, we'll see this play out. And right now, the empirical evidence is not favoring evolution. I just saw a paper in 2017 by Lensky uh, as a co-author, lead author Kochi, that um, the genome decays despite fitness gains. And this was an E. coli bacteria. We may be seeing the biosphere slowly losing complexity. This would be inconsistent with uh, naturalistic evolution. So uh, I think it is, uh, depending, you know, God did it is not a specific model, but we could say miraculous actions plus uh, genomic decay is a testable model. Thank you. Thank you for the question. Yeah, I not say that
2: dronomic decay we see that don't see that in the mayfly experiments that have been going on 100 years we don't see that in the product of lenski labs we see some loss in function but not the decay that you're talking about
4: as uh, far as the science is the sp- paper.
1: i want to jump to this next one because we have a number yet bitter truth says evidence against evolution but where is that evidence in other words like what types of evidence is there against evolution sal and eric
5: There is no evidence for uh, that evolution is a thing anyway, at least nothing provable. The only thing that evolution has been able to, the evolutionist side has been able to show tonight, is that they have observations, they have built hypotheses on, and then they claim that that is proof, their hypothesis.
1: I think they're asking, though, like, is there evidence against it, rather than just a lack of evidence for it? All kinds of it.
4: I provided some examples. I even quoted Dr. Stan Dan Stern Cardinal that talked about independent protein um, protein origins. So, uh, wh- wh- you know, where do these independent major protein families come from? Uh, and I, I pointed out that these would these this would be indistinguishable from miracles for the, some of the major ones, particularly multimeric proteins.
1: This one from From Hill know? Hugger, says, "Could Eric or Sal explain?" Why males have nipples?
4: I can't. I can't explain that. I don't study. I'm not that fascinated by male nipples. <laughs> this one, Eric. Okay,
3: Thank
4: this you for the question.
2: Bitter Really? They're is... so fascinating. What are you talking about? Come on, Sal. Admit it. Admit it to the world. Come on.
1: <laughs> this one from Bitter Truth says: Did you meet God? Can I get his address, or can you show us God, Eric? <clears throat> not only. E. Can I show you that belief in God is
5: less absurd than belief in abiogenesis and evolution?
3: I think that would be doxing. I I think that might count as doxing. I can prove
5: that... uh, Let's look at this, okay? First of all, abiogenesis. You have abiogenesis, and then you have biogenesis. Now, evolutionists don't want to claim... Uh, abiogenesis is part of evolution. But in order for life to evolve into the myriad forms we have today, life had to evolve into life in the first place. And if you go to Berkeley, uh, I can put this on screen share. I'm looking at it right now. Berkeley University, from their Evolution 101 course, from Soup to Cells, The Origin of Life. So they talk about abiogenesis being the beginning of evolution. Now, think about what we observe. What do we observe? Do we observe life randomly forming? No. Have we observed it in nature? No. Have we observed it in the lab? No. What have we observed? What we actually observe every living organism that you can point to through time to now, every single one, the trillions upon trillions upon trillions, have been brought about through another life that existed before them. Never before. Have we witnessed in the lab or in nature anything randomly forming and popping to life? It just doesn't happen. So you believe in the absurd when you believe in abiogenesis. Biogenesis is the observation that life only comes from life, Intelligence only comes from intelligence. Consciousness only comes from uh, consciousness. And that is all we observe. So if you extrapolate that back, there had to be a power that brought forth the first things that First life. Now, when you go then to quantum physics, okay, the
2: double slit experiment. To move forward, yeah, I think okay. we're getting off topic. This
1: one, uh, no, this is not off topic. This uh, is. Let, me, let me go back to the question just to be sure, because I was. This is, uh, can you show us God, uh, or can you, can you give us God's address? I don't even know if that was a sincere question, but this one, uh, we got to jump into the next one. The Crawdaddy029 says, oh look, two armchair, anti-science, nonsense, hole pickers that have no Nobel prize for turning evolution on its head. Go figure. How do you like them apples, Eric and Sal? Yeah. more of a, yeah. there
4: was a nobel prize winner by the name of richard smalley that rejected evolution and i expect there are going to be more yeah yeah
1: <laughs> says eric <laughs> i'm just all right this is coming in from i'm just teasing eric I, we appreciate want to remind you folks guys your link to the description eric and sal and mark and atheist junior what are you waiting for this one coming in from bitter truth says retroviruses use viral enzymes to copy their own genome which is stored in an RNA transcript into DNA. Was
3: that a question? I don't
2: know if that was a question.
1: Some of these are, uh, this is definitely intended for Sal, and uh, it's more of an objection towards Sal. They're they're not always in the form of a question. But nonetheless, it is for Sal. And they said retroviruses use viral enzymes to copy their own genome which is stored in an RNA transcript into DNA, or I should say Sal or Eric, either of you.
4: It's going to account for some, so, so there could there's definitely some, there's some insertions for sure, definitely, but it doesn't account for all of them. And so this is just the general problem with, we just see it emerge once and we get a mistake and we just assume all of these were kind of mistakes or insertions, but I was pointing out the problem of coordinating this to do things Like where we had the 4D nucleome and the the zinc finger cap one complex, and just a whole bunch of other things like phase trans phase transitions. Um, This cannot be random. So just the fact that you find some examples of random insertions doesn't mean it explains it all. Not to mention, we don't actually know the origin of viruses. We think some virus. We there is a theory that all viruses came from cellular life. Now that's very problematic because then the origin of viruses or would then be from cellular life. And if cellular life is created, that's where the viruses came from to begin with. So thank you for the question. This one coming in from Bitter
1: Truth says, evolution based upon observation and DNA, what is against it? I think there is kind of the same question they had earlier, what evidence against evolution? This one from Bitter Truth says, can you show us Adam and Eve fossils so I can reject evolution
4: finally? No, I, uh, I can't show you Adam and Eve fossils. You got it. And thank you, thank you for the super chat.
5: Might be the last oh, one. We, we can show you Malachite Man, though, in the same 110 million year old strata as both uh, uh, the Velociraptor and T wrestler with them.
1: You got it. And in case I miss anybody's question, please do let me know if you fired it in there and I didn't read it. But otherwise, I'm going to jump into the standard question from Diamond S says, Craig Venter found a minimal genome. There were like 200 minimal proteins for a functioning cell. Any less and it wouldn't work. For Mark, how can you get 200 proteins at once?
2: Well, the, the whole assumption is that it sort of evolved into what what modern does, that, that it didn't have any intermediate sort of stages and any other functionality beforehand. And we covered this, that there are um, not only um, proteins that had different functions, but... Um, they also um, uh, had proteins that you uh, and, and DNA sequences you could take out and they formed exactly the same, they operated exactly the same, maybe not at an optimum level. So the problem here that you're, you're sort of making, the error that you're making is saying this protein must form fully fleshed out, operating an optimum level and with every other protein interlinked. And that's not how they evaluate how these proteins develop. It's sort of... Um, they develop over time, doing multiple different functions, and then they're they're um, co-opted into what they are today. And and we have examples of that.
1: You got it, AJ.
2: Do you have anything to add?
3: Yeah, um, I agree with Mark. You know, DNA is redundant. You can take you can take out or change uh, multiple letters in a nucleotide sequence, and instead of killing the organism or having some really horrible effect, a lot of times it doesn't change anything. So I think uh, in these type of questions, we usually assume that if any change is made to these type of proteins, that it's going to have some huge impact. But a lot of time, it it doesn't.
1: This one from the Crawdaddy. Sassy says, I like how the affirmative side, although, uh, let's see. I don't know if. Yeah, okay, they, They say, I like how the affirmative side is sitting quiet since all the defense has to come from the negative side. Maybe I actually learn evolution. I think that's for you, (laughs) Sal and Eric. It's almost as sassy as what was his name?
4: Well, thank you very much, Sugar. sugar Thank you very much (laughs) for the question. I studied under a top evolutionary biologist who was a staff member of Eugene Koonin, and um, he made some good points. But I think basically, you know, they might be able to make good arguments for common ancestry, but it fails in the evolution of complexity. By the way, I've published in Springer Nature, a criticism of natural selection and the problem of the definition of fitness. Uh, It retails for $1,500, but you can get it at your local university library shelves. And uh, so there are a lot of both theoretical and empirical problems with evolutionary theory. I'm pleased to say that I'm one of the few creationists that's actually published in Secular Peer Review. Thank you
1: you got it and i think that's it for the questions just let me double check but want to say folks if you enjoy juicy debates like this highly encourage you you probably have friends who enjoy them as well you can share this debate by clicking on that share button down below and that's a way that more people can hear this debate, especially, hey, if you thought your side was more persuasive, I mean, you might as well share it. So want to say, though, we appreciate our guests. They're linked in the description. You can click on those links right now, including if you're listening at the podcast in addition to YouTube. So I want to say one last thank you. We've appreciated it. It's been a true pleasure. Atheist Junior, Mark Reed, Eric, and Sal, thanks so much for being with us tonight. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank and you. And it's good to- meeting
2: everybody here you, yeah it was great to meet you sal and eric fantastic yeah.
1: i'm going to be yeah. back with a post-credit scene and a big announcement in just a moment folks so stick around for the post-credit scene and we'll let you know about some upcoming debates as well as some other mumbo jumbo juicy stuff so <laughs> thanks stick around and i'll be right back